Welcome to the Food Grower Podcast, the podcast that tells the story, highlights the techniques and talks tactics with food growers from all around the world. From market gardeners to allotment holders, field farmers to urban farmers, we want this podcast to inspire you to grow food or help you on your already existing food empire. I'm Jack from Jack's Patch and it's my pleasure to introduce my friend and co-host Chris from Fanfield Farm. doing Chris? I'm good mate yeah really good actually I've not spent today lugging around sprinklers so I'm pretty happy. <laughs> good man the, re- the roles are reversed now it's me to interview you so yeah it, in the hot uh, seat. Uh, yeah man I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to it because as well as we're friends and we've uh, like, I've been down to the farm a couple of times and helped you out and we've had some really good chats and it's it's been great to see how like on the same wavelength we are with the whole journey and how we think this journey is going to go and what needs to happen in this space as well, which I find really interesting. Yeah, and I think we, we can inspire each other and, and anyone listening as well, different skill sets and different sort of backgrounds to coming at this. It's, it's just, yeah, it's really exciting to, to, to talk about it today, but also to, yeah, hopefully put together some little information nuggets that will inspire people to, to do it themselves. Good, good. So uh, what have you been up to today? If it's not been lugging sprinklers and taking fleece off of plants in this cold spring, <laughs> what have you been up to? Um, it's been, oh, it's just one of those days, right? So we ordered some stuff. You know, when you get a box of stuff you ordered like months ago, but it wasn't in season. So you're waiting for it to come. Mm. And I'd forgotten it was coming and it was, I opened it yesterday and it was a kiwi tree. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I was just like, I'm going to just give it a go. I love kiwi fruit. It shouldn't mm. really be growing here, but I'll give it a go. But then strapped to it in the bottom, which I didn't know was coming, was all my asparagus crowns. Oh. Which normally I'll be like super excited for, but I just <laughs> went, oh, crap, I haven't prepared the ground for them. <laughs> and as you know, I'm on hard clay here that like gets really wet in the mm. winter. So I've just been like, yeah, I, and my farm is essentially no dig but i've been for the like first time <laughs> digging today to yeah. prepare ground because i'm gonna have to add a lot of organic matter into there to keep those asparagus crowns alive so yeah back breaking work but it feels nice to not just be moving fleece or moving sprinklers yeah that that's a nice perennial crop to have i think because i don't have the longevity where i am um mm. i think that's just such a great it's like a surprise this time of year you see a lot of people um picking their first um asparagus now actually yeah. So with the crowns, you are you sitting them on? Um, are you doing it on the mounds, like the slight little mounds you sit it on top? Yeah, that's it. We're going to mound it up. I mean, we've we we basically we're getting to it, but we've had to mound up everything on the farm anyway with the <laughs> soil that we inherited here. But yeah, we're mounding up. I think I'm going to add some sand to the lower levels and then mound it up with the with the soil that's here, and then add loads of organic compost in, um, so that just so that it drains away in the winter. Like now, it feels like a desert, obviously, because of the April that we've had. But um, yeah, in the winter, that could be underwater that bit. So I need to just make sure it isn't and because they carry on going and you're, you're right we didn't do it last year because we were still sort of settling in and didn't want to mm. yeah it takes two years to get a crop so um forward thinking but not forward thinking enough to have prepared the ground before yeah. they sent me the crowns 
<laughs> oh, that is a pain when you've got to wait ages for something. You do forget. You do forget. It's a mm. lot to take on. Right. So f- for the audience listening, uh, let's get into it. I will, let's find out a little bit more about Fanfield Farm. Yeah. So Fanfield Farm is a 3.7 acre market garden. We're a regenerative re- I can't ever say the word, so I should yeah, change it really, shouldn't I? Yeah, mate, Regenerative farm, <laughs> um, which kind of means that we, we, well, we started our first year as a, an organic certified farm. We aren't certified anymore, but we're still organic. We're completely mm-hmm. chemical free, pesticide free, herbicide free. We maintain a lot of permaculture principles throughout the farm um, alongside regenerating the soil. And that's sort of our key there. Um, but we last year we're a veg box scheme did 45 boxes a week maintain that through winter and we're about to in our second season on this farm go up to uh, 80 boxes a week um, of veg for the local people in the local area so it's a real sort of exciting time um fanville farm predates me so to speak because <laughs> i grew up on um every summer on a, a dairy farm which my great aunt's dairy farm um, which is in workshop in Sheffield here in the UK. And it was like, yeah, hundreds of acres, conventional agricultural dairy farm, completely different to, to sort of the practices that I preach now. Um, but I fell in love with that kind of world and the life been living outside, being outside. And my great aunt who is no longer with us anymore. She, um, well, it's, it's kind of a, a sad story, really. She lost her, she bought the farm with her husband, um, she lost her husband very young in their in their early twenties, um, in a quarry accident. But then she basically ran the farm on her own until she passed away just before she turned ninety. Wow! So yeah, incredibly inspiring woman. I enjoyed all my time up there. When um, as happens with some farms, when the farm closes down, it's now cottages and apartments. So we wanted to keep the the memory alive. Took the name on. Um, not not the practices, but we took the name on, took it forward, and, and here we are. So in our second year um, in East Sussex. Oh, beautiful, mate. That's, that's a really nice uh, little story. I like that you've kept... It's like it's actually more true to you, the name as well. It's uh, something a little bit special now. Uh, yeah, and it's funny because the, the name is wrong as well. So um, <laughs> it was actually the farm that it was on, that, that farm, when they bought it, it was way back, like we're talking like um i'd say like 40s maybe 50s something like that a long long time ago when maps were mainly not printed they were written handwritten so they split the big farm up into little farms and then at the back on this handwritten map as they bought it they thought it said fan field but turns out it was actually the field that was furthest from the entrance so it actually just said far field (laughs) because it was in like fancy cursive handwriting the r looked like an n and there we are with fan field so it's actually wrong but it's a nice story as well yeah it is i like that i like that (laughs) so so um, with fan, like to get Fanfield, um, you actually went through the Eco Land Co-op. Uh, to, just for the listeners as well, is as something um, that that was new to me when I uh, went and visited you guys. Just uh, give us a little brief on, on what is the land um, Eco Land Co-op. Yeah, so the, the, uh, I'll refer to them as the ELC. And when I say that, my mum, because she works in childcare, thinks that's the early learning centre. So it's not, I'm not <laughs> talking about the early learning centre here. It's the Ecological Land Cooperative. So they're a fantastic company um, and they take bigger parcels of land around the UK. They break them up into smaller parcels of land and they their whole mission is to make land accessible to anyone. So we they, they have two models. One is that you can rent the land from them on a longer period and eventually buy the land from them. And the other is 
is that they put a rent to buy mortgage on a piece of land so that you can get access to it with the deposit you'd sort of put on a small flat so wow. it means that we can get access to land and work the land without having like quarter of a million in a bank account or it being like we're being fed or fourth generation farmers and it getting handed down so it's incredibly powerful work and normally you can't get a mortgage on land because if you get a mortgage the house that you buy is like the collateral if you don't pay they can't really repossess the land they repossess a house so wow. um yeah it's incredible work um and and we have the, the whole field here is like 22 acres and they split it into three smaller ones so we're on 3.7 acres our neighbors on four and a half and then there's an eight and a half acre field as well and um, that's just been taken on so they thought of everything really in that those businesses are different sizes so that they would be doing slightly different things so we're not competing with each other we work together on certain aspects as well we share resources share tools sometimes so it's it's a really great company when we first discovered them we thought Ah, oh, this can't be right. Like this is too good to be true, you know. Yeah. Like there's no company. There's well, I, I shouldn't say that, but there's not many companies in the UK are truly trying to do something good without it just being all about their bottom line and about money. So we went in a little bit skeptical, but we're here on the land, so it wasn't too good to be true. And and they're, yeah, they're a great company. I think that's the biggest question I get asked if anyone is trying to grow, or like wanting to grow food, maybe they've got allotment or that's like, that's like the dream is the access to land. And um, I, I was lucky with, with where I am, um, but I feel like the eco land, that was, that would be music to my ears if I'm trying to get on land. And the fact that there's people out there looking for growers, uh, although you've got to go through a, a set process um, yeah. as well, as well, but it's, um, it's a really good starting point i think for a lot of growers and giving them that that little push that they need to actually start a successful um, business yeah and it changed our lives because we we sort of had a plan we uh, um had a plan to sort of do it ourselves discovered them it happened way quicker um but also they help the ecological land cooperative actually do sites that you can live on your your farm um, so we live on our farm um, in a static caravan that we sort of rebuilt into a log cabin for now. Um, but they actually help with the process. They get the temporary permission so you can live there. Then they help in three to five years time with getting planning permission to build an actual home on your mm. farmland, a farm workers dwelling. So it's incredibly powerful that the work they do and and if if it is something that that you're looking to you want to live on your land and actually run a farm then they're completely the right company we're the second successful site so the first one was in devon there's three farms in devon that, that the elc started that wouldn't exist there's three farms here now but if you are thinking along those lines, check them out, get in touch because they've got another farm in um, or another piece of land that they've bought in Cornwall, a piece of land they've bought in Somerset, Wales, um, and I think two more sites coming up this year. So um, that could be potentially 15 farms. And it's, it's an amazing mission because by the end of like their fifth year, there could be 20 farms in the UK that... Um, didn't exist before that would be this year i think would be their fifth year so yeah 20 farms that didn't exist before um and it would have been land locked up in in families or could have been flats or houses so uh, just yeah we wouldn't be here without them so we're so grateful yeah that's that's it's great work and i didn't realize how young of a company like young elc have been going because 
20 farms that's 20 communities now that have got access to good food as well and that yeah. can just grow and grow and grow and um yeah it's like there's a small boom in the uk um and we're, we're seeing it we're and realizing how young these farms are as well second first second third year in there's not too many that are that far along that or personally that I know of, I know a few more that are a few years in, but this um, seems to be the birth of like how we're following how the American model of Curtis Stone and, and um, Jean-Martin Fortier um, and, that, and those guys really. Um, so my next question, mate, is I've done a bit of a deep dive on your Instagram uh, to find out a little bit more of how you and Emily started and, I was reading one or two of the posts and uh, I think Emily's uh, pushing the wheelbarrow saying like, off to like the th- third um, plot. So it looks like how you started, you had a few plots on the go. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, definitely. It's It was really, um, I mean, we had always grown veg in our garden. So every garden that we um, I run it with my wife, Emily, every garden, every rented house, we had grown veg in and turned in. And we found like the veg was pushing the rest of the garden out more and more. So you take on a rented garden, there'll be like um, some like nice plants, a few shrubs. And then when we, we'd move in and then the veg kind of started taking over that and it pushed, it'll be less and less flowers and shrubs and more and more veg all mixed in as well but yeah so we always did that but then we we really decided that this is the life we wanted to to lead um and we set out thinking how can we do that and we thought well we'll put together a 10-year plan and we put together a 10-year plan of being able to buy a parcel of land um and and do what we're doing now essentially um but we thought well we can't just do that with just a few like having not giving it a bit of a go and proven to ourselves. It was more about our own self-confidence. So we tried to get some, what we call urban farming, plots of land. And we came across, as you mentioned, I did a Curtis Stone, the urban farmer um, across in, in Canada. And I know it's quite big in the States. Um, fell in love with that model, the idea that you could just uh, rent pieces of land, people's back gardens that are not using and, and grow on those was just fantastic. It was sort of music to our ears. We lived in an area that, that sort of had, that was semi-rural. So it was like a, a housing estate that we were renting a house on in the time, but they had fairly big gardens or we were quite close to like the border of the countryside. Then, uh, yeah, so we turned our front and back garden into veg plots. The back garden, we ripped up all the turf. Our landlord went absolutely mad at us, hated the idea, was not pleased at all. Really, I've always lived with the ask forgiveness rather than permission. Really, I should probably have asked for permission. (laughs) Um, And then out the front, we had a driveway, which was concrete, but we built like the entire driveway. We built raised beds on, like wooden raised beds out of pallets. Um, which I don't think the neighbours were that happy about either because it was just, yeah, like, I don't think it, it was a bit of a blot on the uh, the nice, like, posh little houses with the nice Aldis and all that. But, um, yeah, we grew veg, and when the veg were growing, they were very happy. So that's where we sort of started it. Then we managed to get an allotment, um, moved on to an allotment plant, and sh- we managed to get an allotment quite quick off of, because, you know, you're waiting on lists quite a long time with allotments. We um, managed to sort of bump our names up the list a bit, not through backhanders or anything, but um, <laughs> we we said we wouldn't mind sharing 
an allotment with someone who might be like struggling to keep it all tidy yeah nice and that's a top tip if you're waiting for an allotment you want to get boosted up say that because there's a lot of sort of elderly people that have allotments that struggle with the size of them and if we mentioned that to the people like the committee or whatever they are at the allotment and they said oh yeah actually this person's plot is a little bit untidy we could mention it to them so it's a good way of getting in there um, and we then made a really good friends with the lady we shared it with and learnt a lot and quick were offered a second plot because they saw mm. like how well we had helped turn an, an allotment that was sort of overrun into something that looked really pretty but was growing food as well so that was that was really cool and, and it was a top tip for sort of getting up the list and then somehow the stars aligned and we thought well we were about to do um, a load of leaflets so we we're going to print off a load of leaflets and hand them round to put them in through the doors, basically, of houses that had a bit of garden that didn't look like it was being used or a massive bit of like lawn. And then we're just on Facebook Marketplace one day and this guy just had put his front garden on there, like, do what you want with it. My wife, basically, no way. <laughs> his what, what wife had been the one that had done all the gardening and they'd broken up like two years ago. And so he'd just left and the front garden was just like weeds and stuff up to like five foot in the air. But it was a lovely big bit of like front garden that was, um, yeah, it was out the front of his like quite big country sort of manor house kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I just, yeah, saw a marketplace, Messrs. Jim, got on quite well with him. Um, and yeah, he gave it to us there just for basically for keeping his back garden grass cut and a few hedges trimmed and keeping it all maintained around. So it was an absolute win. Um, we didn't have to get the leaflets printed or anything. It just, uh, yeah, it just came off, which is amazing. So we ended up with three plots of land in that sort of urban, urban farming environment that let us test some of the, the, the theories that we wanted to, to do on a bigger plot of land. Yeah, that, that's so good. You're like honing in on the techniques. It was, it's kind of, I've done something similar with, with seeds. So I was kind of going, f like t t testing all these random varieties while I was on my allotment and then, always saying right oh i like that tomato i like that pepper and, and then just either save the seed or made sure i made a note of it and and knew in my head that there was going to be um i think i might mention that on the po my last podcast but um yeah it's a good it's a great way chris i think the curtis stone um book is called the urban farmer for the listeners um it's a really really good read it's really clever and also he was the first person to make me realize that, oh, you can make money from this. Like it's an actual, yeah. it, it, there's a business opportunity there. I remember there's a few old people at the allotment um, and they used to say, oh, you'll never make money out of it. It's just a hobby. And but I was like, no, I want to, I, I want to do this as a passion, but I think they thought I was trying to make money from my allotment. But um, I don't think that, that probably they thought from allotments and farm was such a big gap where this whole small scale farming or, or growing your own and then potentially selling it at markets or to chefs is, is kind of like something it's taken like it takes some pioneers to, to start doing it. And then people start mm. seeing it and go, Oh God, that's an actual thing. Um, yeah and we did that from from those plots that's how we we sort of built confidence we sold what we grew at local markets yeah like little farmers markets little village markets anything we could get into um 
but it proved to us that it could be done. And, and Curtis Stone's book was fantastic and, and JM's book was great as well. But they did sort of suggest we could make money from this and, and they went down that business route of saying, you can, this is a life you can live. We needed to prove that to ourselves a little bit and then taking it to markets. And I fell in love with doing farmer's markets. People were coming back every week for a salad bag. There was one lady who came, she said, where are all the carrots gone? Your carrots are so good last week, almost having a go at us. Mm. We had run out of carrots because they were so good. And it was just like, yeah, one we can make money from this and two there's a real passion around good food Mm. that it inspired us to go and do it bigger and do it quicker because it felt like there was a a need for it yeah that that's what you want as much as you want to do it for your own pleasure there needs to be that demand there and i think in the uk the the lack of quality that is out there is such a big gap in the market for local growers to set up in a community and start and start selling. I think people understanding what's in their food. Uh, there's loads of documentaries you can, uh, you can, uh, the list is endless on Netflix and stuff, watching um, food documentaries of what, what's wrong with it. Um, uh, and also lo- lockdown seemed to birth a lot more growers um, or a lot more people interested in growing their own food, even if it was just herbs on a kitchen windowsill, which, which is great, mate. I think that's absolutely brilliant. We're in a, I think it's good, good times, really. It's a lot more, well, we need a lot more people doing what we're doing. So what was the aha moment for you and Emily? Like, what made you think, um, as well as obviously um, starting, but to, to actually quit your jobs before, what was it doing the free plots and reading those books? That was the aha moments? Or yeah, w- was there something else as well going, oh, I just don't want to be working for someone else or or so i i mean i have a bit of that in me right so when we started doing this and it's a little bit of a string to our bow that's helped us with with the farm here is that we ran emily and i ran a marketing company together our own business before this um so we had already or i certainly had already years ago gone i can't work for people anymore i'm far too stubborn um and and so i had tried to find something that would fit with me and would work with me and my skill set at the time i was a radio presenter before all of this i did went into podcasting hence being here now getting to use some of my old skills again um and then went to run a marketing company that did web design because i I grew up um, building websites as well so I went into something that I thought would be would be right i still have some passion for it i certainly have the passion for podcasting still but yeah I found myself then sitting at a computer. It was in my house, which is great. And and I think people have seen the downsides to that with working from home this year as much as the upsides. But I was still sat at a computer more than eight hours a day. My back started to shrink. I'm a six foot three man and I was going down to six foot two because I just started mm-hmm. to cower more into the into the computer and, and, and I didn't feel right myself. I put on quite a lot of weight sitting there. Um, and it just didn't feel right. I convinced Emily to to leave her job. She was having a rough time of it um, where she was and, and joined the company. So it was great. We got that spirit to working together on something. But the more we did outside, we got these plots, the more time we spent at the allotment, the more time we spent um, setting up beds or sowing seeds, the less we wanted to work on the marketing company. And that was our bread and butter at the time. So it was actually quite a bad thing to have happening because <laughs> we were like, oh, I don't really want to work. I've got the choice whether I want to work or not but that directly leads to me being much (laughs) having a lot less money so i think that that was uh one of our aha moments was that we don't want to do what we're doing anymore 
and then we read the books that said but you can make money from doing what you like doing what what this stuff outside this growing and then i think the real aha moment when i was like this is gonna work was before we had heard of the elc it was when we went to our i think it was our second market in a little town called bishop's waltham and it was one of those like crafts and produce markets so it really wasn't like a proper farmer's market it was in like a village hall um mm. and we had set up like a table we had little we even had a little ipad with a video on loop on it so i was using yeah. all my marketing skills but someone came back after the second week and they said I would buy more salad. It was the tastiest thing in the world. But for the first time in my life, I don't need to buy a new bag of salad two days later. It is still fresh, crisp, lovely lettuce in my fridge seven days later. So I'll be back next week when I finally finish that bag mm. of salad. And I was like, <laughs> and then she started telling me about what she had cooked with the courgettes and how tasty our strawberries were. And it was just like, this is going to work this will yeah. work people are passionate they're coming down and she only came down to get like some carrots she could have gone to tesco two minutes from her house but she went like 20 minutes down to this little market to talk to us about the food we'd grown and i was like if she's got that level of passion for the food and i've got that level of passion for growing it there's a market to be had here and that was our real moment where we went let's just go all in let's just do this let's and our 10-year plan got cut to a five-year plan then we came across the elc and it became a well we were from discovering them to moving on was eight months which is in, insanely quick so yeah it's been a roller coaster over the last two years man yeah that's amazing I, I, what i do find as well with a lot of growers is those uh whether it's you eating the food and having that moment of like wow the taste difference is in incredible and, and a lot of people that have grown their own food can just tell you that straight off the bat the difference in supermarket to what you grow is just vast vastly different in certain crops um but then having that um response back from anyone that's tried the food you've grown is just the mm. uh, it, it does solidify it doesn't it, it just makes it that yeah, it's, it's just great <laughs> i was speaking to someone today i was showing them around the farm they're coming for a, a job and um i said oh yeah we, we like sometimes people some of our customers get 10 days from their salad bag she was like 10 days like mm. and she just didn't believe that that was possible yeah like um, which is insane yeah like i was lying salesman here. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it's so true i mean i've had salads that i've even forgot about as well sit at the bottom of the fridge and i've said to my mum, like rang her up while i'm at the farm and just said is that salad still good and she's like yeah, uh, yeah. and it, yeah you're right it's like seven to ten days and it still looks like it's i think it's more the immune system of the plant because we're, a lot of stuff in the, the salad bags it seems like when it mixes with the oxygen it just it wilts because it's been in that kind of gassy bag for yeah. how, no, however long um but yeah it's nice to to just go and eat that salad like over like a week later or, or whatever and still and it still looks good yeah and still tastes just as good it's not bruised you don't get that little bit of like runny green smelly water at the bottom of the bag it just yeah and i mean that was our moment just realizing those things and when two like bits of passion collide and and it seemed like the stars were aligning as well i'm a little bit of a believer in in like some sort of controlled fate and and things just came up and when the elc thing jumped up in front of us it was like oh maybe this is this is meant to be yeah man that's brilliant 
Um, one thing I really love about um, your place, Chris, when I've been down as well, is um, how you, you've incorporated, you've got animals on the farm as well. So you've got the dogs, you've got the ducks, you've got the chickens, and now I like, I've seen the cutest little uh, pigs <laughs> yeah. and I've come to the farm. Oh, like, uh, tell us about all of those and also um, like why they're on the farm and like what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. Well, we we really sort of looked at fundamental principles of, of permaculture, and then we did a fantastic course. It was actually a soil science course with Niels Caulfield, fantastic mm. soil scientist, but also like a whole farm planner. And one of his fundamental, um, I was just trying to get it right. How he says it, I can't remember it now. But one of his like soil principles. That's it. Fundamental soil principles. I mean, number one is like covered ground for as long as possible. So making sure there's just plants constantly. Two was minimum disturbance in soil. So no dig essentially, which are principles that we've taken on. Um, three was never having beds. Um, having gaps in them essentially so like intercropping and all those things but number four on the list was the use of of animals in on your farm and that could be anything from worm farming up to the use of chickens ducks pigs for those sorts of levels so we don't farm any meat from any of those animals just to, to make that clear um our chickens do produce eggs obviously but the chickens play a mm. massive part in our compost procedure um which I'll, I'll obviously i can talk about in the future but um they they work compost heaps really well they also prepare lands by scratching it and fertilizing it and we use their manure um the ducks are our slug management team um which one of our volunteers wets himself every time because we call them the smt <laughs> the slug management team and apparently in, in like an office environment that that's the same word for senior management team. So <laughs> she just imagines her senior team now eating slugs. But yeah, ducks ducks eat slugs and snails. So they um, roam around a pond that's next to our polytunnels and they get to go up in between the polytunnels. So they eat a lot of the slugs and snails. And even if they're not eating them, there seems to just be... Obviously, they've told their mates or the slugs and snails, like, don't go over there, you get eaten by them ducks. So we've seen <laughs> a dramatic drop in in the slugs and snails in the polytunnels. So they get used. And then, yeah, you're right. We just... Um, just got some amazing little cooney cooney pigs and uh, the new zealand breed and small furry Wait. pig that are just i mean i'm not sure that they're not um like puppies rather than pigs they run <laughs> from one end of the pen to the other to meet like as soon as they see you squealing away like really happy um and as soon as you walk into the pen they flop on their backs wanting a belly rub it's it's bonkers oh, i'm sure they're dogs not pigs but um <laughs> they'd be funny looking dogs uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're there to do a job as well. They, they, we will collect their manure. That will become Brilliant. part of the compost making system that we're, we're following Jeff Lawton's, um, permaculture composting strategy, which we can feed back on, on how that goes in a couple of weeks. But, um, they're there to do that. And then Kuni Kuni pigs don't dig like other pigs do as much. If you give them a big enough space, they graze. So they're taking a load of our, our sort of areas that we couldn't grow in because of shade from trees and stuff. And, and they're keeping that nicely cut. Um, and then similarly, if we do ever want to dig up perennial weeds out of a block, you put them in a smaller block and they can dig out those perennial weed roots. So everything there, yeah, everything has a, has a job. Um, it's just, it just helps when they're cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen the pictures on Instagram. They look well cute, the pigs. And, uh, I, I just think it's great that you, you're utilizing, you've got like a, a big space as well. And obviously, 
it does take a lot of time, even though you can get help and workers to, to weed and prepare, but you're, you're keeping a closed loop system. You're, mm. um, like you're creating your own inputs from the manure and also like the, creating that eco, like, um, ecology, biodiversity balance. Yeah. Uh, and it's, that's exactly the principles of permaculture. And I like what you said about, um, these areas on the farm, they're like not good for growing, but yeah, the animals can, can graze there uh, or potentially be there doing, uh, having a purpose and add, add into the farm as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something that we were concerned with when we first um, got started here was that there's sort of conflicting feelings about it and I'm not going to talk one way or the other but a lot of the no dig principles especially when you look at it as a small small area is that you just import all your compost and whilst I think that's a like I love no dig and we are no dig now um but and and we did import compost for our first year there's a massive thing to be said about producing your own because there's this term ghost acres that comes up a lot so we say like we want to eventually grow 200 enough food to feed 200 families a week on 3.7 acres but Mm. if we're importing all of our fertility if we're buying 40 ton of compost every year then it's not really producing that food on 3.7 acres is it because someone else has had to grow that fertility somewhere else and so that term ghost acres comes up a lot and and it can be like yeah it can then sort of put a negative feel on growing food in the small-scale farming industry so we wanted to sort of rebuck that and put that aside straight away and and start creating our own compost early on and it's amazing how much you can produce from just the 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 scraps and leftovers from your farm um and then yeah we've we've sort of upgraded that by having the chicken manure and the and the pig manure as well but that was something that was important to us to, to tackle early on in our in our sort of strategy um and yeah it's just great we're, we're very lucky to have that extra bit of room to then be able to incorporate those animals in yeah definitely i i agree with you about it being important because i think that's the first thing i built on the farm a compost heap Mm. just because you know everything any waste from the farm that is compostable it just going straight on there um and it's good to just start making it It takes it's going to take a bit of time to make a load of compost i think over winter it seems to speed up for me just a couple of months and i've just pulled the tart back and like wow here we go yeah. <laughs> it's a, a lovely black compost but it wanna i'm sure we'll talk about it over many podcasts but it just breaking it down and seeing how simple it is to make our own soil um and how easy it is and, and the importance of that as well um so going forward chris what do you see in the next couple of years at Fanfield, what what's your what's your goals at the farm? Yeah, so it's to I mean we've had this ultimate goal from day one. It's two hundred families a week for like forty eight weeks of the year. That's who we want to feed. So this year we're going up to eighty veg boxes a week, and then we'll be starting up farmers markets. Um, next year we want to push that to one hundred and twenty, and eventually looking like about one hundred and fifty veg boxes a week and farmers markets. So pushing that number up to yeah, feeding at least a portion of of people's food every week of 200 families that's that's been our goal because it helps the the argument that small-scale farming works and is really important and you can grow the fact that you can grow 200 anyone in sort of not to, to put negative on conventional agriculture but anyone in conventional agriculture that 
comes and we say we're going to feed 200 families on three three and a half acres or two mm. cultivated acres says it can't be done but jm48's mm. book really inspired yeah. us that it can be done and it helped us put a number to it and we'll definitely test if it's possible and and show it but i'm sure it is so we had one out of five grown blocks last year and we're doing 35 boxes a week of just our own stuff through the summer so it can be done that's our definitely our goal um we are in a, a bit of a position here in that because we live here there's whole like planning permission stipulations. So it's a little bit different for us because there are certain practices in permaculture. I'd like to do more thinking more mm. about nature, but sometimes we have to follow the rules. Um, and we have two, well, we have two years left now, but we had three and a half years to prove we make a certain amount of profit on the farm and then we can build our home. So, or we can get planning permission to build our home. So we're sort of focusing on that at the moment. And that has meant that in the business, I've had to sort of plan that by the third year or fourth year, the business is set up enough in a way that I can take a year out from it to build our house because I want to do that myself. So it's amazing, mate. I'd love to do that, and we've we've got so many different people we can talk about that on the podcast with because we've been to visit the uh, there's an earthship in brighton and cobb house building and it's just a, a different sort of avenue to small holding and, mm. and food growing that's that's really cool but um yeah that's what i want to do so our aim is yeah to push those numbers up feed feed those families eventually build our own home here on the farm and future proof this farm so that those families are fed basically forever or as long as my back will hold out anyway <laughs> um, and then which should be which should be much longer because a no dig um <laughs> it has to be big in so no dig helps um but yeah and and also to be able to sort of prove that you can grow most if not all of your own fertility to grow that food as well it's something that we really want to prove can be done yeah, I think as this space develops, we're, we're fight that a lot of some of these te techniques are kind of coming to the forefront. They seem a little bit new as well. Like for me, getting into Korea natural farming just recently, just been looking into it, and I find that fascinating. Um, but bef uh, before we get into the quick fire questions, Chris, I just want to uh, like just say how well you've done. You're in your second Cheers, year man. and visiting the farm. Like if you guys ever get a chance to visit Fanfield or, or like volunteer or, or get a veg box from there. Just a lot of good works happened in a short amount of time. And, and, and talking of building work, like I was quite impressed how, how much building work you've done on <laughs> like on your like dwelling at the minute and the compost loo, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got the skills, mate. You've got the skills. <laughs> mate, I keep saying it, but we've had a year long lockdown. There's not, not been anything else to do has there. So I think, oh, I think I'm actually like a year ahead of where I wanted to be because all I've done is, is, is yeah, stay here and build it. That's probably not given ourselves enough credit, but yeah, it, it's been a crazy year and we're just, we're so pleased that it's, it's working to a degree. There's been challenges. We didn't have water mm. for 14 months. That was a massive challenge. <laughs> um, we had 182 watering cans on lettuce in one day was pretty tough. Oh. Um, but now it's here. Yeah. We've got sprinklers. Now I'm moaning about carrying around sprinklers. Like <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be really. Um, oh. But yeah, no, it's great. And we, we do have open days and volunteering days every Wednesday. So if you're local or if you want to travel down, then please do come and see it. We, we did a lovely farm tour every week because um, I love showing off. And, uh, <laughs> and, and from June as well, we'll be having a big communal lunch on the farm with those volunteer days as well, which is something um, really special. So 
That's cool, man. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Why it's so quick fire questions, yes. mate? This the chance where I put you on the spot, and <laughs> um, yeah, you answer off the top of your head. What? So, mate, for like you, you uh, gave a few to me. They're a bit slightly different this week. Maybe one or two might be uh, similar. Um, but the first one off the bat is your favourite farm hack. Oh, favourite farm hack. Um, it's got to be chickens, right? This is this is crazy, but it's got cool. to be chickens. Like chickens can work soil. They can give you a food source if you're into eggs. They will turn compost. That something takes six months into five weeks, and they fertilize the ground as they go around. And you can even put them into like a little run, and they adore it. Like build a little run that's the length of your bed. Put three chickens in there at the end of a crop, and you have worked that crop without the need for a rotavator, without the need for a. a broad fork without the need for a, even a fork do you know what i mean just yeah mm. my farm hack is chickens and also they're like they're mini dinosaurs mate you can they're great to watch <laughs> yeah <laughs> no great answer mate great answer um what is your least favorite thing to harvest oh do you know what i think it's like it, I'm going to say lettuce now, not because we do Salanova lettuce, which can cut the whole head, but it's smaller mm. varieties of lettuce where you pick the leaves and leave some behind. Mm. I'm a big fan of just coming into an area and just chopping until I've got enough. But when mm. you're like, like we do, we supplement some of our veg boxes with early leaf of like red Russian kale. And so mm. I'm trying to pick off the baby leaves and leave the bigger leaves to then turn into kale. Uh, that just that like, yeah, needing to bend over, pick the right ones. I struggle with that. Man. Um, it is tight. It's time consuming, mate. It's not like yeah. picking a cool jet, is it? You got it. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> One strike and a knife, and it's all like pinch out, it's yours. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I feel that. I think mine's spinach, mate. I just I find oh, it, yeah. it's, it's just time consuming. Mm. But, um, is there any veg that um, everyone likes but you hate? <laughs> oh, good question. Yeah, there is actually. And it's it's a real controversial one. It's carrots. Oh. Now, I've just never liked carrots. Um, I've got a bit better with them. Like I can now pick one out of the ground and eat it straight out. And I'm like, actually, I quite like that. But mm. if like we're putting carrots in a meal, normally I'm just like, no, nah, I'm not into that. Um, which is weird because like they taste so sweet. They're just they're a lovely vegetable, and I'll put them in anything like a curry where it just bulks it out. But yeah, carrots, man, <laughs> not my favourite. <laughs> I'm not very good at seeing in the dark. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um. So what? As well as um, the chickens, as like your favourite favourite farm hack. What's your favourite tool to use on the farm? yeah it's got to be my knife like i've got uh it's always on my belt and i always forget to take it off i went to the post office not too long ago they're like what's that and i just uh, ran out put uh, it back in the car went back in i was like i'm no so way. sorry i'm a farmer look at me i'm covered <laughs> in mud i'm not gonna rob you um but yeah i've got that it's fantastic knives um we get the maracniv knives i think that's how you pronounce it um you can get them like on amazon or online for about between 10 and 15 quid and they'll last you a season they're super sharp they come in a little like holster and i just always have it on my belt 
to the point where when I'm in the house and I need to open up a parcel that's come or something, I'll reach for my knife and be like, oh, I haven't got it on. And my wife's like, you can't have your knife on in the house. Like, can't have your knife on in the bedroom. It's just not, it's not cool. So, um, yeah, that's definitely my top tool. And it's something I recommend to everyone. Like when we had our apprentices start and stuff, it was like, yeah, get one. You will not regret it. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm actually always, I was surprised how, well priced a good knife is as well i've just got the open all one and it's just a couple of quid but yeah just constantly got it on me it's brilliant um so final question this is a new one um what do you prefer um when you are uh doing a walk around on the farm is it a morning cup of tea or coffee or an afternoon beer oh what a question uh, if someone made me choose between those two, I'd probably just kill the person and pretend that they didn't ask me the questions. You know what I mean, like it's <laughs> it's not an easy one to answer. I think. Can I give a seasonal answer? Yeah. If it's cold, on. it's a cup of tea. If it's yeah. warm, it's beer all day long. And like I said, I think yeah. I alluded to it on the podcast. Like it could be anything from midday onwards. Like I work for myself. I can do it any time and crack open a beer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's on it. It's on yeah, it already. Like, yeah, I've, I've got one there um, maybe for in a bit, but because uh, it's still, still a bit... Uh, what's, uh, yeah, it's a bit, a bit too early maybe. But, nah, not at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> nah, nah, it's, it's afternoon now, it's afternoon. Um, but yeah, that's the questions, Chris. I did a few new ones Love there, it. mate. And uh, yeah, cool. Mate, it's been a quality to hear your story. There's loads of new stuff I had no idea about. And um, always, w- what we're trying to do as well is each person on the, on the show, with you explain your story. And then, as we've said before, th- there might be something that resonates uh, with the listener mm. to be like, you know what, that sounds a little bit like my story or something I can go along with. And, um, yeah, hopefully your growing journey starts after listening to one of these podcasts, which would be our mission, really. Mm. Um, so where can we find you, Chris? On socials? Yeah, I mean, or uh, website? Uh, the website is fanfield.farm. That's F-A-N field. So like the words, but with no spaces. Um, or Fanfield Farm on Instagram. I use Instagram all the time. I think it's one of the most positive mm. social media experiences, if there is such a thing. Um, so yeah, our Instagram story, and, and we're just building up our YouTube channel as well. So just any of those. It's, um, yeah. But Instagram's where to go because I've just, yeah, it's, it's the only app on my phone, I think. So it's just easy. I'm always <laughs> like printing. I should be doing more if I'm honest. But um, yeah, that's the place to go, man. Uh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure to talk, mate. Really, f- thanks for uh, telling your story and coming at, like being on the podcast mate it's been good, nice to re, uh, reverse the roles and then now we get to interview other people so uh, the fun begins yeah if you're listening and you're a grower you're next <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for listening to the food grower podcast